You're listening to Nearly Departed, a ghost story anthology. Every episode stands on its own, but the universe of Nearly Departed will make more sense if you start from the beginning. I make this podcast entirely independently, so please shoot me a rating and a review if you enjoy what I do. Reading them is so meaningful to me, it makes me so happy. Chapter 4 The Haunted Video Store October 18th, 1998. Dear Miss Kandinsky, I work in a haunted video store because, of course, I fucking do. My name is Laurie Skinner. I started working at the independent video rental place in my hometown in Massachusetts at the beginning of summer a few months ago. I'm 23 and I just got divorced. Long story. And then my stepmom, Lisa, got sick. Longer story. Well, actually, short story. Don't smoke. And my dad wanted both of his girls close by and I needed a place to go. The timing worked out. So I went from working at a daycare with a house and a husband in North Carolina to working at Panoram Video Store, divorced, living in an apartment above a hair salon with my little sister. And the hilarious thing is how much happier I am now, which should really tell you something. If I ever smell the inside of a daycare again, it'll be too soon. Now the only babies I deal with are the guys that I work with and the customers who have tantrums about late fees, which I can handle. There was a vomit incident, actually, come to think of it, in the tape drop-off bin, but luckily, I didn't even open that morning. They did have to throw out like 50 tapes because of it. I was there when someone left to use condom in the drop-off, so I have paid my dues. I can't even believe the things that have happened at this fucking store, and it's not even the half of it. So the store is a standalone lot in a space that used to be a restaurant when I was a kid. All the buildings are flat, boring, there's a huge parking lot, and behind us and the shopping center across from us are low hills of trees. Everything here backs up onto these waves of trees. It sounds pretty, but somehow it isn't. I I can't really explain it. When the sky is cloudy, which is like 80% of the time, it feels kind of claustrophobic. And when the leaves fall... The trees are just sticks for months and months, and they look like stubble on the hillside. My old high school friend TJ got me the job. He's a real movie nerd, and he said the shifts were long, but there were hours when you could just be alone in the store, watching movies behind the counter, (laughs) making more than I made, keeping human babies alive, so it was an easy sell for sure. It's mostly guys who work there. I'm one of two women, and while TJ is a sweetheart, the rest range from dumbass to dickhead. But they all have decent movie knowledge, and they can be pretty funny. Christina, the only other girl, is locked up in this awful yo-yo relationship with our action film nut, Matt, which at least gives us something to talk about if we have to work together. I don't know why people who only seem to irritate each other keep dating, but again, I am in no position to give relationship advice. All this to say, like, imagine me on this island of misfit boys plus Christina. So... The creepy shit. We have a basement under the store. And all summer they threw parties in there like once a week. 
I've realized I had never really noticed anything until after we went on the cemetery run. There are the trees behind our store, but if you hike up into the hill into the woods a little ways, there's this weird little cemetery we found. It was late on a Sunday night. We aren't open on Mondays, so we were all shit-faced, and we decided to go on an adventure into the woods. <laughs> if you're like, Lori, you're regressing. I would say, yes, I am. Well spotted. So we grabbed some flashlights and our beers, and we started exploring the woods. The trees are pretty dense, but it's warm and the moon is bright, so it feels safe and fun. Eventually, we find an area where the woods thin out a bit, and there's all these bumps in the ground covered in old leaves. But enough of the gravestones are intact for us to recognize it for what it was. A little cemetery. So we're freaking out and we're trying to clear some of the leaves and the dirt away to see who they belong to. And they're old, old. Like most of them are the thin, rounded stones you think of when you think of a gravestone. Others were just like the size of bricks in the ground. We see some dates from the early 1700s. It's pretty cool. And we were feeling like Bud Light, Indiana Jones. Then Chris, the owner of the store, who watches the craziest horror shit in the world, I, I can't watch it, and who I've never seen without a beanie on, finds a gravestone that's been split in half. It was one of the rounded classic ones, and the top had just cracked off and fell backwards. It had this great skull with wings on either side etched into the top, and Chris picks it up off the ground. It was deep in the dirt, too, and the bottom is like spider-webbed with soil and roots. But he starts brushing it off, and he slings his backpack off his shoulder. I realize he wants to take it, and me and TJ and Josh, our manager, are immediately like, what the hell are you doing, Chris? Put that shit back. But Chris won't stop. He's like, no, come on, like, it would be amazing to have, whatever. And we're like, dude, don't do that. That's bad luck. But he puts the thing in his backpack. Okay, whatever. So we get back to the store and he puts the thing on a place of honor behind the TV in the basement hangout space. We think it's creepy as hell, but it's not our house. So it didn't feel like a huge deal. We just thought it was disrespectful. I walked through the dock store as I left and I remember everything looked fine. Some crumbs and misplaced candy boxes, but that stuff gets handled at the start of the next shift because everyone wants to close up as fast as possible. So I opened the Tuesday of that week, the first day open after we brought back the headstone. When I walk in, I get the lights on, I get the vacuum out to clean up, and I noticed something looked different about the store. Then it registered to me that all the tapes were facing the wrong way. It's a small store, but we have hundreds of tapes. This would have taken someone a really long time to do on their own. And everyone I left Sunday night was in the sweaty, glazed vision stage of drunkenness, and I couldn't really see them going one by one through the store to mess with me. So I'm immediately like, oh shit, it's a ghost. This is a demon. But then nothing tried to possess me as I took out the trashes, so I put on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and the store TVs, and I just started going one by one, flipping the movies right as I looked for any that are marked overdue. I worked the rest of my shifts normally, reading behind the counter mostly, and accepting our long overdue Titanic copies from the madness the week before when it came out on tape. My next shift is when I really started building my This Store is Wicked Haunted case. 
I was opening again the next day, as I like to do. The store is looking normal. I go to the back to get the vacuum. I haven't unlocked the doors yet, and I glance at the little TV we have on the desk back there that's connected to the security camera facing the front desk. Something catches my eye on the security TV, and I watch as a black something starts growing in the middle of the screen. It's like a black vertical cloud, and it gets darker and darker on the black and white screen. I think it's probably the TV malfunctioning at first, but I see the cloud move towards the front desk and dissipate into it. I drop the vacuum and rush out onto the floor. and I can't see anything, but the energy is, like, electric. Obviously now, I'm like, okay, 100% that's a ghost. And now I'm stuck here for eight hours. <laughs> I've seen horror movies, like, I'm no idiot. I know to take shit pretty seriously immediately, but there's nothing I can do. I have to work for hours alone. So I hang out behind the front desk and I'm trying to distract myself with a crossword, but I cannot get this feeling like I'm being watched out of my head. At one point I just look up because the feeling of electricity in the room is so strong. And I stare for a few seconds. And then I feel hot breath on my cheek and the hair on the side of my face actually moves with the breath. I jump out of the chair right as my manager Josh walks in. And I'm just staring at him. My eyes are fucking huge. And he's like, what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, well, Josh, the store is fucking haunted. And he looks at me for a second. Then he looks out the front windows to see if anyone is coming. And then he leans in on the counter and he's like, I think so, too. So he then goes on to tell me about an experience he had had on the night the boys brought the tombstone back. He and Chris and TJ decided to sleep over because they were so wasted. <laughs> they kept sleeping bags down there for that purpose. And there was an old couch that Chris maintained the rights to sleep on. <laughs> so they stay up till three watching weird movies Chris had put on. And then they all eventually knocked out. A few hours later, Josh wakes up and he hears something rustling around. He's trying to listen, but it suddenly stops. So he's looking around, and then he feels something yank his ankle across the floor, like a full foot. He flips shit, obviously, and throws the sleeping bag off and drives home. Maybe it's because we're Catholic or because we're from New England, but we all pretty immediately believe in ghosts here. I, I am not happy to hear what he told me about the foot yanking, and I tell him about what just happened in the store to me. We decide to watch the footage from the last two days on the security camera together. We find a five-minute blackout at 9 p.m. from Monday night, and when the video comes back, the tapes are backward. We are speechless. This is crazy. There's just no way someone could have done that in five minutes without being seen. This is like fully supernatural shit. I zoomed the video forward and showed him the black mass that I had seen, then we hear the bell on the door jingle and we have to get back out onto the floor to help customers, but both of us are looking pretty haunted, I imagine. <laughs> Eventually, Josh and I convince Chris that we need to do something about it. Chris thinks it's bullshit the whole time. He doesn't believe in ghosts. Okay. But we beg him to put the tombstone back and he finally agrees and he does it. We're hoping that this will be the end of it. But then people start fainting. Soon after our talk, 
This woman who came in with her family just dropped to the ground in front of the rom-com aisle. Her husband and daughter were terrified. This wasn't a normal thing. And I had called 911. She came too when she was carried out into the ambulance and she was apparently fine. Fine blood sugar, fine blood pressure. She had just like suddenly knocked out. I thought it was weird, but weird things happen to people every day. And when you work with people, you know, you are sometimes there for their weirdness. I didn't immediately think that that was ghost related. Then the day after the next, I was working again and a young teen guy just dropped to the ground by the back wall. He had been alone, so I called 911 and asked TJ, who I was working with, to grab someone to help him carry the boy out of the store. Same thing. His vitals were fine. He came to. Something had just knocked him unconscious. And, of course, the energy of the store felt way off. I mean, it never felt great, but this was different. We'd feel normal, working away, and then it was like this dark cloud would settle over us and it just felt depressing and awful so we had another staff meeting about it and lucky for us we have a paranormal connect it was agreed that josh would bring in his uncle who's part of a ghost investigation group called nesp new england seekers of the paranormal (laughs) at this point i'm way more skeptical of nesp than i am of the ghost thing But we really don't have any other options at this point, or we really don't feel like thinking of any, so we all decide to do an investigation and stake out the store through the night. I'm freaked out, but it's also like, I don't know, it's exciting. I've been taking care of people forever, my parents were a mess when they were together, and I've been helping my family with my paycheck since I was 15 working at Stop and Shop. I'm used to being the Wendy to everyone else's lost boys, but lately I'm just like, nope. I'm a toodles. I'm not too clever to fall out of my pram. We used to watch Peter Pan a lot at the daycare. It was like one of our five tapes. Anyway, so I'm like, cool, great. We're doing a ghost investigation. Sign me up. So these guys, Nesp, come over at like 11 p.m. after we close on a Sunday. It's four bald guys and they all look like electricians. And the whole Panoram staff is there. And it's a really cold night. And even Chris shows up, even if he doesn't think it's real. They've got some camcorders and cassette recorders and some flashlights, some things we didn't even get to use. (laughs) We start on the floor in the back corner where there's enough space among the aisles for everyone to hang out. So they turn the lights off, except for the red exit lights. And they put one of the flashlights on the ground. They've unscrewed the back a bit so that if you barely touch the back, the light comes on. But if you're not touching it, it's off. So we all sit on the ground around it. And Josh's cousin Marlo, the head investigator with Nesp, starts asking questions. He, he says, turn the light on for yes. Did you used to live in this area? Were you buried in the cemetery? Did you fight in the Revolutionary War? Nothing happens. Flashlight doesn't turn on. Then he asks, are you making people faint? And then the light flickers on and then off. We all look at each other and eyes are bugging out of our heads. He asks again, did you come from the cemetery? Nothing. I pipe up because I have a big mouth and I say, do you think it's funny to mess with the staff? 
And after a few seconds, are you a man? I ask. I knew it. Next, one of the other guys with Nasp says, have you ever been human? And the flashlight stays dark. The guys of Nesp give each other some very significant looks, but we're like, what the hell does that mean? I'm like, it's a monkey spirit. But then they're muttering about a dark entity. And I'm like, doy, this makes more sense. This is a demon. Oh God. (laughs) So we ask a few more questions, but nothing else happens. So we move down to the basement. The basement has this really shitty wall-to-wall beige carpet that looks like Chris just found a huge roll of it and cut out holes around the water heater. I'm actually almost positive that's exactly what happened. So we all creak down the stairs and sit on the couch and on the ground. We agree that it would be too freaky to turn the lights off down here, so we just leave them on. Now they bring out the portable cassette recorder, the, the little handheld thing. They ask a bunch more questions. What is your name? Why are you here? You need to leave this place, do you understand? What do you want? Suddenly, Christina lets out a yelp and brushes her hands through her hair frantically. She's like, did someone just blow in my ear? Nobody cops to it. And she is done. She grabs Matt and goes up probably to smoke and calm her nerves. I don't know. She's gone. And it's good that she left because when we listen back to the tape, she would not have liked what we found. I'm including a copy of the tape so that you can listen. What is your name? Why are you here? Tony. You need to leave this place, do you you understand? (laughs) What do you want? After we listen to it down there, we're like, gobsmacked, dumbstruck. What the flying fuck? And this is also when we notice Chris is starting to act really fucking strange. He keeps adjusting his beanie and like pushing the same piece of hair across his forehead, which I know he does when he's nervous because that's exactly how he looked when I confronted him about paying the guys a dollar and a half more than me. I go, Chris, you know something? What's going on? He's like, I don't know what you mean, mumbling. And we're all like, man, we can read you like a book. What do you know? Who's Tony and what the fuck is going on? He's like a cornered animal at this point, And he finally tells us. This didn't have shit to do with the old gravestone he brought back, by the way. Total coincidence. <laughs> so he tells us when Chris first bought the place from the buffet restaurant that had been here, There was a period of time when he was renovating it and sourcing all the shelves and stuff to run a video rental business. While he was doing this before he opened, he agreed to let a friend stay in the basement without paying rent. A guy named Anthony Moretti, also known as Tony. When he says who he let stay in the basement, all of us are like, are you kidding me, Chris? Tony Moretti is a very well-known lowlife in the town. He's just a nasty piece of work who's always a nuisance in the local pubs. He's got this long ponytail and he tries to seduce 18-year-olds with close-up magic. Apparently, 
he moved in with his new equally nasty girlfriend in the basement for a few months, and Chris just let him do his thing there. We're all looking at Chris with so much frustration, and he's just bashful as hell and says, but he's my buddy. Real honorable folks, these guys. It will always amaze me the lengths men will go to defend their most despicable friends. People with no redeeming qualities, as far as I can tell. Anyway, Chris goes on to tell us that he always knew that Tony was into dark shit, but he thought it was just an excuse to wear weird jewelry and buy gargoyle figurines. When it was time to open up shop and Tony had to move out, Chris found the basement absolutely trashed and the floor was all painted. And we're all like, and? Painted like how? Chris shrugs all nervous and he's like, uh, I can show you, it's under the carpet. So we move the old coffee table and roll out the carpet underneath the couch. We pull back this cheap carpet and in black spray paint, the concrete beneath looks almost burned with the image of a pentagram and other symbols. The symbols are also dripped heavily with red wax. We all gasp. So Josh smacks Chris in the head and he's like, Tony summoned the demon, dumbass. And then TJ's like, I slept on that shit, Chris. But then Chris is like, it's fucking garbage, bro. It's fucking fairy tales. But then Josh is like, I'm going to make you a fucking fairy tale. And then the Nesp guys ended up having to pull them apart. Uh, If it wasn't for the pentagram on the ground, it would have been pretty funny. So they settle down and we all go outside to smoke and cool off. Christina and Matt are long gone, by the way, which is for the best. And we're like, okay, (laughs) next steps. What are we going to do? And the Nesp guys are like, we have a guy, a priest who does this shit. And they're going to call him the next morning. Everyone here is so well connected. I had no idea. So that was yesterday. And apparently this father is coming sometime this week to do a cleansing or an exorcism or something. But honestly, I don't really want any part of it. I think this is where the adventure ends for me. Getting rid of a demon is this whole long process that involves stalwart faith in Jesus Christ and like six props. I have made so many mistakes in the last five years, but I have learned so damn much. And I know now that not every tangled web is yours to untangle. You can just knock them down or take another path. Life doesn't always give you prizes for doing hard things like it does in the movies. And you can waste a lot of time staying in dead-end situations with that mindset. So I think this is where my summer job comes to an end. And I'm realizing it right now as I'm writing this out. I've been saving like crazy. And Rachel, my little sister, she's been wanting to leave peep. So I don't know, maybe I'll take the next week or two and just drive up the coast with her. We've got nothing but time, and no one expecting us home anytime soon. Thanks, Miss Kandinsky. Lori. Gwen giggled to herself as she folded the letter back in its plain envelope. She felt strongly that Lori, who would be 48 years old now, was in a good place. The video store, on the other hand, she felt sure was not. But that wasn't going to succeed for long, demon or no demon. Gwen was sitting on one of the lounge chairs in the sunroom, and through the window wall she could see Oscar carrying several plastic owls under his arm, followed by Paul's lanky figure hauling a massive ladder 
They had a bat problem in the attic. They'd only seen one, but apparently you can get diseased from their poop, so Oscar was on the case, and Paul was always happy to lend a hand. And he had a whole shed full of tools and things. Bats are scared of owls, so they had gotten some decoys to spook up the roof for practical reasons, in addition to the fall decorations they had put up for fun. Not the scary ones yet, just the festive stuff. Wrinkles, the Persian, floated behind the duo as they walked, her short little legs subsumed by the layer of leaves at her feet. Ever since she had landed on Paul's head, she had become incredibly attached to him, and she followed the men around as they worked on the house. Gwen was still making her way through the old house, trying to help it feel more like hers. She found a music room she had never been in the other day, a cramped room with layers of rugs, an upright piano, and a packed bookshelf with records and tapes and sheet music. She did a quick look to see if Miss Kandinsky's paranormal case files were anywhere obvious, but she had no luck. She decided to go out the back and see what the guys were up to on the roof. She was worried wrinkles might be causing them mischief, but found her running through leaf piles and stalking a fat little caterpillar with her huge orange eyes and her fluffy little paws. Gwen chuckled. Just like the letter she had read, she knew that even demonic things can be funny sometimes. You've been listening to Nearly Departed, written, produced, and edited by me, Katie Wiggins. If you want some cool merch, head to the link to TeePublic in the episode description. Nearly Departed is in its first season, building up to its finale in the last week of October. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please tell a friend. All right. Have a wonderful week, my little creeps. Creeps.